Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is world-famous biologist, adventurer, extreme angler. He's the host of the global smash hit TV show, River Monsters. It's got nine seasons, 57 episodes. He's also the host of the fantastic show, Dark Waters, Mighty Rivers, Mysteries of the Deep. He's authored three books. If you haven't guessed who it is already, it is the legendary Jeremy Wade. We talk about traveling now compared to back in the day. We talk about traveling to more sort of exotic, uh, further flung places. We talk about the famous plane crash that he survived 20 years ago. We talk about what happens when a member of your crew is hit by lightning deep in the uh, in a South American jungle. We talk about the general dangers with, with being out in these places with film crews. Uh, we talk about encountering other wildlife other than fish while trying to film. We talk about the bleep button and uh, when Jeremy gets sweary. We talk about the TV show River Monsters. Uh, we talk about all of his other TV shows. We talk about the process of writing books. We talk about being on big uh, US late night talk shows such as Jimmy Fallon and Conan O'Brien. Um, I'm not going to say too much more about it. It's a great chat. We hit all the good beats that you're going to want to know about and a few more. Um, and without further ado, here it is, the world-famous, legendary, extreme angler, adventurer, biologist, and host of River Monsters, Jeremy Wade. Have a good one. strange and then you picked up and i was like oh hey you know hi jeremy it's andy how you doing and and you were like yeah i'm i'm, I'm in the arctic circle right now uh, <laughs> i don't know if you remember and you're like i'm filming and i was like fucking hell how much is this costing me <laughs> so do, hang on did you, had you phoned me on that occasion i phoned you oh, right. and you picked up you're in bloody antarctica or something somewhere i didn't think would have a phone signal that's always you know it's always when i'm in those places i hope i get some scam call and just just keep them on the line forever you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's amazing isn't it that i could call you from a a flat in bath and you're in the arctic circle and you picked it up that's weird isn't it yeah i know because when i started traveling which is a long time ago now um the first time i went I went away beyond Europe was to was to India, and there's no there's no internet. Um, a phone call would cost you a fortune, so literally I just disappeared. And my family knew that you know I plan to be back in three months' time. I might send an aerogram, you know, I'd write something, stick it in the post, and then probably I would get home before the the letter did, you know. <laughs> so so everybody just trusted the fact that I would I would be back, and I, and I actually I, I actually quite like that thing as well. It's you know, traveling was more of an adventure. The fact that you can now just on your phone at a moment's notice, you can just see somebody and talk to them. It's it's like it's just not the same thing I'm, I'm starting i'm sounding like an old fogey aren't i you know sort of oh kids these days they don't know what it's like to <laughs> you know so, to, to to travel and be totally you know self-reliant and all that but it, it's that says something doesn't it for earlier travel and exploration because there there was no safety net and if something went wrong you know it went really wrong 
and you had to rely on yourself. And I, I think there's a lot, a lot of people that have, yeah. when people, people always joke about going to India to find yourself or whatever. But I, I always find that, you know, travel does broaden the mind, and uh, having to take yourself out of a comfort zone and rely on your own wits and common sense mm. can really be. Um, really quite power, like a powerful experience. But if you're always connected to something, Google or whatever, I feel that maybe it's sort of, it's a, it's a handhold too far at times, maybe. Yes, you're, you're right. It's um, what, it, what it does, what travelling should do, is it, it forces you to, to dig inside for resources that you didn't know you had. And, and often it's a case of, yeah, it's being, in a, it's being in a strange place where they don't speak your language possibly and... It's often a case that you just want information. You need information. Um, where can I stay for the night? Where can I get food? And if you can just pull a phone out or something and it tells you, it's like, well, you're, you're then missing that connection with people that could lead to all sorts of other things. Yeah, exactly. Google and, and, and uh, search engines and apps and, and all these things that, you know, make your experience more convenient and, and faster actually, I guess, make travel a little bit... You can make it a bit more insular and inwards because you don't have to go and approach a local and say, hi, I'm from so-and-so, can you help me? Do you speak the language? And you might not get the local knowledge. They might say, hey, there's a great place down here that you you must try that Google won't tell you because it's not on some sort of app with five-star reviews from yeah. all over the world. And you, you might miss the authentic experience. Yeah, that's that, that's true. And, and um, I mean, I was just thinking one example. I, I was in Budapest a couple of years ago, you know, with a film crew. And there's, you know, one of the crew was, to, was all over TripAdvisor and this kind of stuff. You know, let's go and eat somewhere tonight. Let's see what the, you know, he was going, yeah, what's the place that everyone recommends? And so we found that place. And of course, it's totally booked out. So it's like, oh, all right, what do we do? We just, we ended up just going somewhere fairly at random but it turned out to be an indian restaurant that was full of local you know the local indian community and it was brilliant you know but it wasn't anywhere on on your your trip advisor i mean i, I you know i do feel quite nostalgic um for my early travels where it would be pretty uncomfortable a lot of the time and and there's part of you that actually wants to go home wants to be comfortable but when you've actually when you've successfully negotiated that kind of situation, there there is something quite addictive about it. You feel that you have, you know, to use the sort of the, the vogue term, you've you've grown somewhat because you've because you've challenged yourself. You you've actually developed something. Whereas if all the answers and everything is given to you on a plate, then it's like it's almost pointless. I mean, the fact that you can find McDonald's just about anywhere in the world, and and the fact that you can communicate with your home, your neighbour, it's like I'm just thinking bit like sort of golf or something you know you almost need to 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 create handicaps to 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 make it harder like leave your phone at home or something like that (laughs) challenges yeah Yeah, i guess there could be an element of sort of arrested development uh if you if you hang around in a comfort zone for too long i really do feel like i know people i've met many people who the furthest they've been is sort of weymouth in the uk It, it it does it does fascinate me that people you know, we'll just hang around in the same little town or whatever for a, the whole life and never go and experience anything. Yeah. I mean, th- there's another side to that. I mean, I think part of what I'm saying is that you can go to somewhere that's uh, very remote in inverted commas 
and it's 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 full of Europeans, you know, because it it can be so easy and comparatively uh, affordable. Some some places now just to, to to get your ticket and all the rest of it, and and the amenities are there, and it's it's almost like you haven't really gone anywhere. But one interesting thing about lockdown, you see, I I, I think you can it's it's making people explore their backyard a little bit more. Um, for example, you know. I a lot of people will be very surprised by this, but um, I'm, I'm known for fishing, but I, I do very little fishing in this country. I used to years ago when I was young, but I, I, I haven't recently, partly because I saw, you know, I sort of overdosed on it when I was young, but also um, it's a question of time and also the, the gear, you know, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not really geared up for it. But this year, I have been going to the local river, and I'm enjoying it, and and I'm I'm learning stuff, I'm meeting people. So there is, I think, you can still live a fairly local life, but you can. It's about going deep into a place, and and actually, when I go away, it's the same thing. I'm I'm I. It's not so much about covering ground. It's a it's about finding an interesting place, and then then going deep into that place. It is funny, isn't it, that we can we can. We have these TVs and, and tablets and whatever, and we can watch you go around the world and show us the great rivers and and, and um, indigenous tribes and everything. But um, a lot of the time, we don't actually know what's sort of within walking distance sometimes of where we live. Yeah, you know, it's like... Uh... Yeah, you 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 go to foreign countries and there, there, there's there's amazing architecture that you can that you can look at. There's uh, you know C- Cambodian temples and all the rest of it. But actually, you know, we've got amazing architecture in this country, and it's like I don't know. There's a tendency to go into a different mode. You you know, you're away, you're on holiday. Let's go and check out all this stuff. But actually, that stuff exists when you're at home as well. So. I don't know a great deal about Europe. I I haven't travelled much in Europe. I've done some really I've I've done some very far flung stuff, but um I suppose that's quite nice. I'm 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 keeping some of that for my my retirement, you know, when I'm when I'm less mobile, I I can I can <laughs> do stuff cl- closer closer to home. Going to Europe. Yeah, I've I've been to I've been all across Europe with um with my band and mm. And I love it, and it's usually because we're there, and we, we generally when these things happen, it's the summer. So of course, I've, all my memories of Europe are just blazing heat and lovely, you know, yeah. uh, lovely weather and good company and stuff. But there's so there's so much in Europe to um, to discover. Berlin, I don't know if you've been to Berlin, but that's a, a great metropolis. And you talk about architecture; it's just a, a collage of just all kinds of different buildings and, and stuff. And in England, I feel like there aren't many places that, that get away with that because people hold on to tradition so much. But there are other places in the world where they don't let um, a brand new building being built next to, you know, something that's been there for 500 years, put them off. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it can be quite quite pleasing on the eye to see so much diversity well, I th- again, I, I just think even though that is a European country, it's not that far away. Exactly, you know, culturally it's so different. I think we sort of absorb the environment that we're in. We don't sort of really register it until we go somewhere else. I, I had a friend at school who who he, he went to live in Australia, and he said that you know something was just bugging him about Australia. He just didn't feel comfortable, didn't feel right, you know, and 
you worked out what it was after about a year. It's like there are no old buildings, uh, um, it, and it's that's and it's almost disturbing. It's that it's that it's that feeling. I think what we get here is a feeling that you know, there are these ancient buildings. So you, there's almost it almost gives you a sense of security. You know, I live in a house which is you know, it's made of stone. It's like three hundred years old, and and it's like that. Although it's sort of creaking a bit and leaning, you know, there's a certain comfort. There's a certain something that you get from that, which you can't put your finger on really unless you think about it. But when you go to a place where it's, you know, large parts of the states, it's like, oh my, this just seems so temporary. It seems like it could just blow away. The world is is a fragile uh, place. You feel vulnerable. You know. Right. Returning to Berlin, um, I went to Berlin in, when was it? It was 80, I went there when, before the wall came down. Wow. And that, honestly, it was, it was fascinating because, you know, a, a lot of people aren't aware of the geography of, you know, so West Berlin was, was totally enclosed by, the wall went round West Berlin. So you're in this island. And if you, if you were in West Berlin, it was possible to go to the east. You could go to East Berlin and you could go further afield into East Germany as long as you were back in 24 hours. And so I, I went into East Germany um, when it was still behind the wall and it was fascinating you would emerge there were two ways you could go you could either go through um through the checkpoint or you could go on the u-bahn the um the underground and you and you you go through these ghost stations which are closed and then you come up and you come up into a different world and and the atmosphere was different you know the the air because you had these two-stroke trabant cars you know the the air smelt different there's cobblestones um there were some amazing museums there the pergamon museum so you know berlin has has very strong memories for me i've been back you know since when the war and, and it's all, almost uh, obviously you don't want to put the clock back in 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 some ways but it's it's almost lost something um it's you know the atmosphere is different now right but no that was um yeah i think berlin's a, berlin's a fascinating place yeah i mean i've only been there once but it just struck me as a very very exciting place just at all times mm. it just all felt very intriguing and exciting and i'm interested in in um in in the term ex, um, adventurer as well, is this something that you you stick on books and TV shows um, to say? How do you know when you're you know when do you say, someone say what do you do? Oh, I'm an adventurer. What's how do you how does one become an adventurer? What's the <laughs> I, I actually I, I I hate that term. I mean, the the, the thing is, uh, yeah, you know what happens is that you know the, the marketing machine. How do how do we sum up what you do in like two words or three words? And I mean, one one tag that gets attached to me uh, quite commonly is e- extreme fisherman or extreme angler. And I'm going, oh, I just I just hate that so much. But I can't think of a better way to sum it up. I mean, explorer sounds a bit sort of colonial, and you know it's. But you know, I, I suppose, uh, yeah. I saw. I, I I travel with. I travel with my with a, with a fishing line. But the weird thing is, is that, you know, I, you know, I'm not doing that all the time. And and something I I learned totally accidentally is that if you go to certain places, take the example of of like the Congo or the Amazon and you're going to a place where people are much more you know their their lives very much revolve around the rivers and the fact that you share that interest it, it, what that does it, it you know it 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 
I have become a, like an accidental anthropologist. I never set out to to be an anthropologist. I, I, I was interested in finding weird fish in parts of the world that not many people go to. But if you if you go somewhere and you're looking for fish, you will find other people who are interested in fish. They they will they're interested in what you're doing. You'll team up. You might go and stay with them. You'll collaborate with them, and you end up finding out an awful lot about the way people live in a place like that in a way that you wouldn't do otherwise if you were just you know if you were like a bird watcher or just say or a journalist or even an anthropologist you know you're there with your notebook and all the rest of it but the fact that you're there looking for fish it's amazing what that opens up but how you compress that down into a few words I don't know um, and I think sort of yeah adventurer as much as I hate it it's it, it's sort of you know, sums it up as you know, it gives it gives people a rough idea. Because when I think of adventurer, I I sort of think of I sort of kind of think of Indiana, Indiana Jones a little bit, but yeah, um, I kind of think of like old black and white photos of guys wearing like bear skin and all this like fur, and they look sort of glassy eyed and dead behind the eyes because of the old uh, photography sort of. Um, equipment and they're off to explore something and they're all very rich and they're all sort of like aristocrats or something you know it it does have those colonial um overtones i think yeah i mean i always think of hacking through jungle with a machete but that's become a bit of a cliche you know you see these programs where that you know there's your adventurer he's he's hacking through with his machete and the camera is like gliding alongside and you think hang on a minute how is the camera gliding alongside there's probably a path there yeah um you know which of course there is um, <laughs> and call you know, them out jeremy stay- call them all out yeah so it's um yeah, I, yeah, I've done, I've done my share of hacking with a machete, but how does that feel? Is it good? Is it tiring? What is it? Is it is it is it exhilarating? Is it something you you think about and you go, oh, "I wish I was somewhere hacking my way through a jungle right now." It's it's a real mixture. I once I once got lost in in uh, part of the Amazon jungle, and and it was it was actually pretty it was pretty frightening because yeah, I got severely lost. Um, this this local fisherman had sort of given me rough directions, and I, I I'd followed the directions. I was trying to get to this lake, and I ended up just going around in circles. I I didn't have a compass, you know. Nowadays, I, I if I'm doing that, I'm going to have a compass so that I got some ref- some reference. I couldn't see the sun because you're under the the, the canopy, so it's like, whew, you know, what am I going to do? I, I actually managed to I managed to work out where the sun was and which way it was going, and uh, what I did, I. I sort of stood. I, well, I stood my machete on a on a fallen log, and there was about six different shadows around it. Right. But one one of the shadows was slightly stronger, so I thought, right, that's probably like the real shadow. So the sun <laughs> the sun is like. And then you know, is it getting longer? Is it getting shorter? And then I, from that, I worked out. So I sort of developed a bit of a, a bit of a compass, like uh, um, a sundial, a, a bit of a sundial, yeah. And um, and I worked out. Yes, it's afternoon, and so okay. Uh, if I had gone east, I could have literally, you know, I could have gone miles and miles and miles. You know, I've just been getting deeper and deeper into the jungle. But if I went west, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the river. I'll know where I am. Anyway, I managed to, to, to you know, to, to, to get out of that to actually find a path that I knew. Get back to this hut where I was staying. They were getting quite worried about me. This, 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 this sort of gnarly old fisherman had a bit of a laugh about me sort of getting lost and. Uh, and then he said, oh, he said, you know, if, if, if you hadn't come back, I'd have come and I'd, I'd, I'd have found you. And then he said, some people I know, some locals, some Brazilians, they got lost in the same 
you know the same area that you were lost last year they were they were hunting and they they'd shot a wild pig they had some they had they had a dead wild pig they had some matches uh they had a machete and that was it and you know they got lost as well so it's just, you know don't feel bad about it we sometimes get lost and i went oh how long were they lost for and i'm just trying to remember now he said uh, he said yeah uh, 22 days oh god <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 I'm not sure that I would have lasted 22 days. Anyway, so I was I was out in a, in a few hours, um, but it was one of the, it was one of the, it, you know, again. It's interesting. What happens is is you you know we were talking earlier on about being in situations that you wouldn't normally find yourself in. If, you know, I've got lost in Cheltenham, for example, once, and it's like. Well, you just ask somebody, you know, if you park your car somewhere, like, oh God, you know, where, where is, you know, where is the, you know, where's the town hall or whatever. So there I am, suddenly in you know, what could have been a life or death situation, it, and, and I've got to, right, and, and so what I've got to do, I've got to really, I've got to concentrate, uh, and what I tend to do is when, <laughs> when stuff goes wrong, I tend to swear a lot, and, and you know, the people, I, the people I work with when I'm filming, they know that, you know, and they love it because it's great, you know, they, it's, it's a bit of emotion, you know, they get the bleeping machine out, it's, it's you know, they, they love that. But when, when, you're, when you're in real trouble, potentially, that is a waste of energy, you know, it's like, no, no, no. And what's interesting is that, right, you know, the, the, the swearing stops, it's like, no, I need to engage my brain, I, I really need to think about this. Um, I've, I've got to do something. I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got to, you know, make sense of this situation and and, uh, and and get out of here. And that's really quite incredible because I mean, I I, I I was an army cadet for a bit, and I feel like I've done a fair bit of sort of like rolling around and ambushes and firing blanks and you know camping out and a bit of like sort of very low level survival skill stuff and uh, and worked festivals and whatnot. And I feel like I've been in my fair share of sort of uncomfortable or exciting. Um, positions done some traveling with the band in that but i've never been i don't think i've ever been in a position where it's life or death and it's like okay here we go do you know what i mean it, i've never felt that and i don't think many have felt that sort of okay it's me and nature now and i need to be it's channel my ancestors and and uh, mm. and not fall to darwinism <laughs> i mean those those situations are very rare to you know obviously um and in fact, you know, you don't deliberately put yourself in those situations. You you do. I mean, now that now that I'm filming, you know, we do. It's a it's full risk assessment, and and okay, part of it is you've got to produce the document, but you have really got to think about it. Um, what are the things that might happen? How serious might they be? What's the likelihood? And then based on that, maybe we don't do it, or or what do we do in order to to be able to do it safely? Uh, in terms of real life or death. I mean, I always get worried about roads. You know, roads are the and and you know people who don't know how to drive, where you, and and badly maintained vehicles. You know, you, you're driving along mountain roads and and something turns up and like the tires are worn. It's like no, we're not just we're just not travelling in that. You know, it, it's uh, you know it's stuff like that. I mean, the one situation that sort of springs to mind with me is I, I was in a plane that crashed, which is. Um, yeah, that's right. I, I watched that, oh, that right, clip okay. earlier today. Actually, I saw that today. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's you know, it's it's it is actually a, a, with all the ramifications, it's a very long story. But but it's essentially what it was. It was a single engine plane. Yeah, we'd we'd flown to a, a town up an Amazon tributary, and then we and then we were doing some aerial filming. So we we we'd taken the, uh, the the back door off. We had cameras rolling, and the engine failed. And so there there was like a there was a pop. 
the the whole thing just started shaking. It's like someone had picked had picked it up and was and was shaking it. And I was in the co-pilot seat, and I'm just looking ahead of me. And so it's single propeller. So I, so I'm gradually seeing. You know, the propeller is gradually appearing. You know, so the engine is mm. is in the process of of stopping. We, the thing is, we were we were pretty low at the time. We were um, we were flying low, and the, the the thing with thing with planes, I've done a little bit of uh, I've done a bit of flight training as well since then as a sort of bit of therapy, really, and, and you know, including what you do if the engine fails. And 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 if the, if the engine fails, you know, the higher you are, the better. It gives you time. You can you know you can think about what. Anyway, we were five hundred feet or something, so not a lot of time at all. Yeah, I mean, it was largely it was largely down to the pilot and a bit of luck. Um, he was so the, so the pilot managed to st- stall it in the crown of a tree, and so he's right. you know he's he's putting he, he's he, you know he's trying to get power that didn't work, and then so he's putting you know he's putting the flaps out, sort of slowing the airspeed right down, and then it, it was it was really quite spooky because um, there was just this. Um, this gentle brushing sound as we just you know we just we just clip the top of one tree then and then silence for a, for a, you know a couple of seconds and then another one and then and then and then suddenly just everything went dark and we we um yeah we basically ended up in the crown of a tree which luckily it, it, it turned out it was uh, it was a rubber tree, which sounds a bit you know, sort of slightly funny on one level because what happened is is that is that is it is it bent and yeah. and so so we're in the crown of this tree and and the, the and, and the whole tree bent. This was this was all you know we all worked it out afterwards. At the time it was just complete chaos. It was you know just complete chaos. So yeah, so the so the tree bent and then in, in, you know rather than then springing us you know springing back and and and. Uh, bouncing us the other way you know it cracked and then dumped us into a uh, into a swamp but there was a tree and so the diameter of that tree was probably i don't know a foot or 18 inches but there was a tree next to it that was like you know three foot diameter if you know if we'd gone into that one nothing you know there would have been no give and we'd have just been we'd have just been crumpled so um yeah we we, we got the right tree unbelievable there's other layers to that story as well, but anyway, that was that was essentially uh, yeah. So five of us on board, nobody even had a scratch. It was you know, it was absolutely um, miraculous. I did see. Uh, I was going to ask you this actually. I wasn't sure whether you'd be bored of talking about the the plane crash, but as you brought it up, I thought I would. Um, I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> There's a look of I'm going to say elation on your face when you're talking to the camera after it. It's a moment where the pilot or one of the crew members has to sort of usher you on, like, "Come on, guys, we gotta go," and you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll go." There's a there's a look on your face. I know you've just beat death, and of course, I guess that comes with its own sort of smugness. But um, is there what, what were you feeling in that moment? I could see it in your eyes. They were, they were, you were just in full adrenaline something mode, but there was this look of like you looked almost like. Uh, High, do you know what I mean? There was. A, I think so. Yeah. I think. Well, I think. Uh, yeah. I think. I think. High on being alive. You know, most of the time we t- we t- we take for granted the fact that we're alive. Yeah. And it's it's no big deal, you know. And I think when you've come through something like that, just just the fact that we, that we are alive, it, it's it's like, oof, you know, that was that was close. We came very close to something 
you know something else happening there our, our brazilian sound recordist he said you know this is this is our second birthday um, <laughs> it's a, well, that's the thing though it's amazing how, it's amazing how quickly you you know you have a life changing experience it's amazing how quickly you just revert you know unfortunately you know that happen that that does happen um, but the, no the, another side of it is this is quite weird this is going to sound quite weird but um, the other thing that I used to do before I was working in TV, I, I used to write. So I would travel, and my interest was was the fish, but also it's you know it's it's the communities, it's folklore and stuff. And I used to write about it, partly as a means to get, making a little bit of money. It didn't you know it didn't bring in very much, but also I am in, I am interested in writing. You know that I, I would like to be a better writer, and and um, I, I want to carry on writing. The thing about when you're when you're traveling and and it's hard and it's uncomfortable when bad stuff happens the fact that you're documenting it somehow sort of redeems it and so there's always part of you however bad something gets you think this is this is actually great material and I think we on that moment you're talking about the one cuz what happened is we so we had three cameras on board Two of them were destroyed. One of them was still rolling. Right. So, so without actually saying, any of us saying it, we all knew we are, we've just got some. You know, we've just got this amazing material. We have just shot a plane crash from inside the plane. Yeah, and now we're and now we're filming, filming the aftermath. You know, how, that was never in our our schedule. That was never in the risk assessment. You know, but we've you know yeah to pull that off. Um, some years before that, I was. Um, I, I was traveling in the Congo and I got I got a very bad dose of malaria, which was it was just getting worse and worse and it was you know it was, it was dreadful. That could potentially have been fatal as well. I mean I was I was I was almost going blind. I was going it was like snow blindness. One of the, you know, I went into this phase where everything was just completely almost white out. I couldn't see stuff, you know. So it's you know, it was my right. brain it was thinking of my brain, it was cerebral malaria malaria. But there's part of me thinking, you know, so I split into 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 almost into two two parts. There's one part which is, oh, this is you know, this is terrible. Make it go away. I want to I want to I want to go home. And and the other part is just going, this is this is really great material. Pay attention to this. This is you know, you are hopefully not going to experience this again. Uh, yeah. Try and rem- <laughs> try and remember it. You know, I, I I didn't have the energy to write in my notebook for a few days, but as soon as I was strong enough, eventually, I'm putting down everything I can remember because yeah, it, you know, it's it's a whole different perspective of the world when you when you're in that kind of state. And how do you get malaria? Is it through um, mosquitoes? Yeah. So it's, is it exclusively through them? Uh, yes, it is. And, and you know, I was I was doing all the right things. I was I was taking precautions and taking. Uh, you get you can you can have sort of preventive medicine supposedly, but if but if you get if, if you get bitten really badly, you know they don't they don't completely protect you. So right. I was just bitten. I was just bitten really badly one night, and um, yeah. And what's the how how do you get over it? Is it something that your body has to work through or do you need medical intervention at that point? Uh you you really need intervention and again that was an interesting one because I sort of refused to believe it was malaria to start with because the sympt- you know the symptoms can be all sorts of things and I I thought I thought I was suffering from heat stroke. Right. Then they sort of you, you, they settle into this sort of um a fairly there's a sort of a cyclic thing where you you know it's sweating and and shivering. So even yeah you know, even on the equator, 
uh, I would suddenly get to the point where I'd just be feeling so cold and, and, and I would just, you know, I'd just put all my clothes on, I'd put my, uh, put my tent up I'd, I, and I, I would just, you know, just, just huddle to try and warm up. And then I would wake up in the night and I would just be just boiling yeah, I just t- I would take all my clothes off and just stand outside with my arms out, just trying to radiate heat. You know, so it, you've got this weird hot and cold thing going on. I eventually became convinced, yeah, it's got to be malaria. And there was this like field medical center in this tiny little town. We tra- we were actually traveling down the river on on a log raft, and it stopped in this place. And I went to this little hut, and they gave me a test for malaria. And I went back for the result. They said, no, it's not malaria. And I said, "Well, what is it?" They said, "We don't know." <laughs> and uh, but but anyway, um, but after a while, I just thought, "No, it has to be malaria." And the thing is, I I I had some, I did have some medication with me. I, you know, I, I I'd really looked into the medical. Yeah, you know, we had blood giving sets, God knows, all, all sorts of things with us. I had medication, but the the thing is, the medication is like really strong. I think I think this particular medicine is now banned. It can mess you up in other ways, so you don't you don't want to just take it. Right. Um, anyway, but I but I was convinced by this point that um, that I that, that I had had malaria, and actually, yeah, I ended up. Uh, again, it's a very long story, but but I, I was sort of back, you know, in 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 habitat, you know, in a place that was well habit, you know, inhabited eventually, and I just I just dropped this stuff and and. I spent a whole night just sort of sweating, 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 and then the next day I was, you know, I was weak, but I was clear-headed. It had, it had gone, you know. So, yeah, a dose of very powerful medicine sorted it out. Wow, that's yeah, that's mad. Because I remember Cheryl Cole had mm. um, <laughs> malaria years back, and it was all over the news, and I couldn't really figure out what was yeah. what was going on. But um, it was a bit touch and go for her then. It's it's a it's a very dangerous one because now you can you you can go you can go overseas to a sort of malarial zone for even a fairly short break, you come home, and you have these sort of weird symptoms and it's like you might go to your doctor and they go oh we don't know you know you you must say you know where you've been oh, I've just come back from such and such and, and, and then what they'll do they'll they'll check you. And, the, and it can kill you. You know that's the thing. It if you if you don't get treated for it, if it's the wrong sort, you know what you what you tend to do if you're sensible is you do take medication when you're away. Which is and the point of that is is to give you protection. But a lot, uh, you know, some of those you've got to take it for maybe a month or a week after you come back. And a lot of people just sort of can't be bothered. It's like what's what's the point of taking this stuff and. There are people who, you know, there are people in this country who have died from malaria as a result of coming back from somewhere and just not saying, I have been to the tropics. And, and it's like, you know, immediately it's like, ah, you know, that's alarm bells. Let's test you for malaria. Yep. And then you, then they treat you and it's fine. It's gone. But if you if you don't do that, then you, you, you're potentially in trouble. Just going back to the, the, the plane crash, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention with the plane mm-hmm. crash. Is One is that, after the crash, of course, you survived and everything. But then I see you sort of wading through swamps and everything. And I think, well, you've survived that. Now you've got jungle creatures that, you know, now what's your next Your next threat is, I mean, you were lucky because you were fairly close to where you took off. You weren't in the air, in the air very long, were you? But there's me thinking, no. what's under there? What's, what's swimming around his feet? I mean, you would know more than most people, but... Well... Uh, no, actually, to be honest, at that point we were pretty safe, you know, and and, and luckily we 
Well, I mean, th- we were fairly close to this small town, and they actually heard they heard the impact right. from there. Um, and so there was actually like a fleet of boats come, you know, coming out to yeah. look for us. And so people, you know, so so from that point of view, it, it, you know, it could have been it could have been a lot worse. We could have been somewhere much more um, hard to get out of. But actually, the, you know, that there is um, I didn't didn't mention it earlier, but um, th- there was a whole other dimension because what happened was like i said you know we we crashed into the 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 crown of this tree there's this big cracking noise and then and then just fell down and then you know suddenly we've come to a we've come to a halt and all of this happened really really quickly um it seemed like a long time but i have this feeling of of obviously immense relief you know we've we you know we've had the impact and and I'm alive. And anyway, the, the the very next thing that happened was the 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 next breath I took. There's this really strong smell of fuel, just you know. And at the same time, all this liquid is pouring over my head and shoulders. And I'm thinking, I'm getting doused in fuel. You know, we're, we are we've survived the impact, and, and we're going to go up in flames. And 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 so. Basically, there's this you know, strong smell of fuel, liquid all over me, and I'm just thinking, I've got to get out of here. And I couldn't open, I couldn't get my um, my harness undone. And I think not totally, you know, it could, again, it could have been slight confusion or whatever, but it could have been also we took a side impact, which um, sort of jammed things a little bit. I had a door next to me, so I thought, I'll just open that anyway. So I pushed the door open and I had a knife on my belt. So I think I'm just going to cut through, I'm just going to cut through the harness. Then I suddenly had this, you know, it's it was really strange because this liquid is pouring all over me and it's coming up my legs. It reaches my knees, it reaches my waist, it's going up my chest. And I'm thinking, how is it, you know, how can there be so much fuel yeah. on this plane? You know, this, this, is not, this is not possible. And then it just hit me, you know, we are in a swamp and yeah. we are sinking, you know, we are, and I'm, and I'm strapped in. And there's and, and other people in the plane, they're just shouting, you know, agua, you know, it's water, water, we're in, we're in water, you know, we've got to get out. Yeah. Anyway, what the pilot was, you know, he was in the process of getting out, but he he managed to free my harness and then I managed to get out. And so, like I say, within a space of a few seconds, um, I went from thinking, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to die in the impact. Oh, no, you know, I'm going to I'm going to burn. I'm going to drown. And then relief because you know, none of those none of those things happened. I told you it was a long story. <laughs> um, so what happened is is that I, is is that the plane actually settled and it settled. Um, the water sort of got to my armpits and stopped. So, you know, even if I'd been a bit slower getting out, uh, it wouldn't have gone above my head. Um, we went back uh, the next day to the to the scene and and sort of did a proper sort of you know had a look around, and where we were. We were approaching a lake, and and the, which had, and basically, the, you know, the, the the water had sort of flooded all around the lake. And the closer you got to the lake, the deeper the water was. And literally, you know, only a matter of, of about fifty meters closer to the lake, which would have been like, suppose suppose everything had happened. I worked out like one and a half seconds later. Uh, instead of the water stopping at my armpits, uh, it would have been over my head while I spent about a minute and a half trying to free myself. So the difference of one and a half yeah. seconds could have made wow. the difference. That is crazy. And 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 that 
And that only hit me. It's interesting. That that fact hit me about six weeks later. I just, you know, you, you're looking, you're thinking about all the implications in that. And, and, and that realisation just hit me like weeks after the event. Because I, I literally spent, you know, I did spend weeks processing the whole thing. It's like where you have so much that, that is compressed into a really short space of time, it's like somebody dumping a big pile of paper in an inbox. It's like your mental inbox is just becomes right. overloaded. You can't just put that in the bin. You have to right. process that. But you can't do it at the time, so you've got to do it later. And, and one of the things that was interesting, the same day we, we watched back the raw footage on one camera. The guy, the guy who filmed it had already watched it. He said, before I show you this, just, just tell me how long it was, you think, between the, the sound of the bang, the engine failing, and the moment that we hit the forest. And myself, and we had a, we had a Brazilian uh, friend of mine who was, our, who was sort of guiding us, you know, we thought about it. We said, yes, um, it was about three, you know, three, four minutes, something like that. He said, yeah, that's what I thought. Watch the footage. 14 seconds. Oh, my God. So, so it just, you know, it, it, the, the time just, uh, it, it does very, very strange things in a situation like that. Yeah. It just str- str- They said it's, it's, time is relative. I guess what happens is some part of your survival of your brain kicks in and where you're, where you're trying to process so much information at one time, I've never been, I've never experienced it, but I guess your experience of time slows do you know what? I, I, th- I think maybe you have experienced something similar. Um, so bear with me on this. Um, so apparently uh, racing drivers, you know, they, they yeah. will put on new tyres or, they, you know, they'll set up the, the suspension differently, something like that. And they, they, they go for a lap, they come back into the pits and they can talk for like five or ten minutes about how the car felt different, you know, because they, you know, they are literally analysing each microsecond, you know, each particular point on the track, you know, that they've got data coming in and they're used, and, and you know, it's all there, and then they're, they're, they're getting it out. And I'm thinking, in your case, when you're, when you, when you're drumming, you know, it's, it's not just one, two, three, you know, there, there's, all, there's all the stuff happening between the beats. And, and yeah. so if I was to listen to a piece of music... But if you know if you're listening or if you're playing, you know your knowledge of of the the sort of microstructure of that period of time yeah. is is you know you're in a, you're you're in a different mode. You you know you could you could you could talk for many many minutes about a short piece you play. I'm sure you know in terms of you know yeah probably yeah, yeah it's yeah it's interesting. I have had moments where I felt that I've been really in the pocket. Yeah. With and this is more of an adrenaline thing, but really in the pocket and hitting a really nice tempo, and then someone shows me footage of the show after, and the song is it's almost I don't know it's ten twenty BPM more than it should maybe even more than that it's I think I'm really hitting the sweet spot mm. and really when I see myself back it's like you know and the band are like yeah that was quite fast tonight Andy and I'm like no nah, no nah, it was fine it was really I thought it sounded great and then I look at the video and I'm like what yeah what and it's just double time you know it's 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 a punk rock mode but I saw a video of a guy who a a, a, a cockpit cam of a guy who was flying i think he's flying like a hurricane or something yeah like an old uh, like an old military um uh plane single rotor mm. jobby again and he's 
And that goes down, and he's doing an air show thing, mm. and he's and he commentates it. I'll send you the link later if I can find it. It's very interesting. If it doesn't give you flashbacks, that is. Um, and he's he's commentating it, and he's saying that there's a part where he's made the decision. He has to put it down in this cornfield. He's not going to make the runway. Yeah. He and he's he said his brain is now prioritizing functions. He says at this point, air traffic control are talking to me, but I can't hear them. He says, my brain has diverted the energy it would be using Mm. for my ears elsewhere. He says, at this point, I'm deaf. I don't know what they're saying. I have no, I have no hearing. I am just in, I've made the decision. I've opened the canopy. I'm putting her down and that's it. And he is just in that, in that mode. No external information or stimulus is, is, you know, we're going to make this. I found that really fascinating. That one detail that, that at some point air traffic control are just wasting their breath because his body has gone, no, these are the functions that I need right now. It's, it's this and this, you know, yeah. sorry, this. Um, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. fascinating. And I think, you know, you train for that as well. I mean, I, I, told, I, I did this um, you know, flying training a few years ago because I thought I, I want to understand more about air- aircraft and, and not just how they work because – Often we're on we're in light planes and I'm next to the the pilot. So if if the pilot if the pilot suddenly keels over, it's like I'll vaguely have an idea what to do. But also things like loading, how you how you load the plane is so important. And in some parts of the world, they, they you know they're a bit cavalier about that. You know they they get right. away with loading it badly. You know it's very you know very important. But um, yeah, when I was doing this flight training, one one of the things that we did was um, what well, you know my my instructor would just would lean across and just shut the power. Not not right off, but just knock it, you know, knock it right down to, to almost nothing goes right. Engine's gone. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, so so again, if if you if you've got height, you've got a little bit of time. But it's like, right, so where where is the, where is the wind? Which way is the wind blowing? Pick a field. We're going for that field there, and you just put it into a glide, and and you you know, and you 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 work out so that you're you're lining up on a particular field, and then yeah, you know, for those exercises, we never actually. Never, never actually put it down, but we'd, we, you know, we'd, 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 we'd be approaching, and then okay, on, on with the power, and, and off we go. So it's something that you, yeah, you automatically, your, your, and obviously some places it's, you know, if you've got fields, then great. Um, this was in Vermont, in the in, in the states, and he said actually, you know, in Vermont, if if you have engine failure, you know, you have no excuse for not not putting it down. Uh, safely, you know, with no with no damage to you and with no damage to the plane, you know, you'll. Is this because Vermont is a geographically a, a very flat? It's uh, it's it's well, there, there are there are hills, but there's there's lots of fields. You know, it's quite it's quite agricultural. So um, right, yeah. We've been talking for a little while now, and we haven't even really really properly mentioned that you host one of the biggest <laughs> one of the biggest TV shows, you know, of its kind. How what, how does River Monsters come about, and and do you, and how much say do you have when you say you're in bar? I know you've had a, there was a sort of a TV career sort of before that, but the River Monsters was your big platform, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, I'd just done a couple of sort of one-off things uh, before that, and the, you know, we were talking about the plane crash earlier on. That was you know that was something I did uh, uh, before that. Um, River Monsters started off as it was just going to be one program. Um, it was it was a story, a, a weird story I heard in India, North India, about there's something in this one stretch of river where there were stories that a couple of people have been pulled in, and it's like what you know, in a, and it's and it's not a crocodile, it's not a python, 
it's, it's it's a giant fish. And so anyway, I actually went, you know, I, I sort of, I, I did do another little, a little project which sort of touched on that. And we, uh, you know, I, I caught a small one of these. It's, it's a thing called a goonch catfish. And I caught one about 60 odd pounds, which, you're, you know, you're talking like four feet or something. But it, it was a case that this story, you know, it's, it, potentially it's bigger. This is, this, this is something that could appeal to more than just a sort of a niche audience of people who, who like fish. You know, this is something it taps into our, you know, there is this sort of real sort of archetypal fascination we have with stuff under the water. You know, you can't see what's there, so your your imagination fills in the gaps. It, you know, it, mm. it is this realm of monsters. And, yeah, TV is is well known. There's all these programs about Bigfoot and this and that, and they never find anything. And but the and the, and the idea that we could maybe tell this story, and it's like a it's like a it's like a whodunit. It's like um, there's a crime scene, someone gets pulled in, and then it's almost like yeah, so it's a detective story. I talk to people, talk to witnesses, and then it's like oh, yeah. you, know, you know, it could be this, and then I and then I try and apprehend it. It's like you know, let's let's put a line in the water with a lump of you know, dead fish on, see if anything takes it. And it was quite an epic shoot. You know, I, I caught a couple, but no, they're not, you know, they're not really big enough. We need a big one, you know, to make the story work. And I ended up getting this thing that was like as as big as me, both, you know, length and weight wise. Very, very dramatic scene. I had to jump in the, you know, the river is in flood. The monsoons have swollen the river and this thing, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it close, keeping it close in this pool. And suddenly it's just gone downstream and it's like, oh, and I just, you know, I jumped in after I jumped in the river. That ended up sort of, you know, that impressed a few people. And, and that was on, originally it's Channel 5 here and, and uh, Animal Planet in, in, in the US, which is part of Discovery. And, and they came back and just said, oh, um, are, there, are there any more stories like that? And I, my immediate reaction was, well, no, that, you know, there aren't. That's a bit of a one-off, really. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then started thinking about it, you know, started thinking laterally. Well, there's, you know, there's some, there are some stories that are sort of similar. You know, there's a... There's a thing that lives in the Congo that's very toothy. It's like a giant piranha. There's there's probably stories about that. And anyway, so to cut a long story short, I ended up doing that for sort of nine years. Um, and and yeah, you know, huge global audience. And eventually, you know, you're going to run out of material. But it 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 right. it, it, it you know it, it kept me going for a long time. I've got the statistics here: nine seasons. Yeah, fifty-seven episodes. At least, yeah, and forty-four specials. I had to double check that. When oh, I was there was all, that, yeah, that's that's right. We, we, you know, we would sort of do, we would do sort of repacks. We would sort of make these other programs, which are sort of themed in a, you know, like giant catfish or, yeah. So, so, so there's loads, and to this day, they're still showing it. You know, in 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 America, they have, they regularly have sort of marathon. You know, don't know if they're twelve or twenty-four <laughs> hours. People would literally watch. You know, dozens of them. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a trip because I saw you on Jimmy Fallon, which I consider oh, yes. to be the you know he is the top of that late night. Yeah, that late night US talk show showbiz thing. It's Fallon, Kimmel, Conan. Conan was my favourite. I, I did one. Right. I did one on Conan, which was great. You know, because I it's 
you know that doing those things doesn't come naturally to me but the the way they put together you know the, it, it it's really interesting because it appears to be really chaotic but the people working on that are just so professional they you know they 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 just they did did such a good job on that which which i have i have to say i don't think was was equaled by any of the other uh, similar shows i went on because it is it is quite a trip because when i see you out and about uh, uh, you know, you don't, you're not wearing shades. You don't, you don't got to have the, you don't have this pretense of because, because let's face it, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You know, you, you're a big star, and in TV world, you're in the in the reality um, animal nature world. You know, you're a big deal, so you don't walk around like you're a big deal and stuff like that. You know, and you're very, you very, know, I feel you you live quite a modest life off camera and you don't you're not like, looking for attention and you're not like, oh, I've arrived when you, when I see you. And then I see you on Jimmy Fallon with Adam Yalk of the Beastie Boys <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like this is weird. This is such yeah, a yeah. strange how 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 do you deal with that stuff? Because as you said, it doesn't you know, it doesn't come naturally to you. I do feel when you're in front of the camera, do you, do you kind of do you flick a switch? Yeah, you're like, okay, this it's time to to bring it now. I have to sort of uh, yeah, sort of, sort of emphasize certain parts of my personality, and, and it's a performance, isn't it? I, I think the the you know, the person on screen is 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 almost like another person. You know, it's a, it's it's a bit of a character. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm not an actor, but it's it's that there's a bit of that. And and what I'm trying to do, sort of at the moment, is 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 make it a bit a bit more me. But but you know what people are used to is is that like I say, it's the what people want and what they're used to is 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 the hacking hacking the jungle with machete. You know, all right, go just do that for a couple of minutes. Right, we've got that over with. You know, in a normal year when I'm doing something like that, I'm away for half the year. Then when I come back, it's you know it's recovery mode. It's do the laundry and then it's and then it's start to prepare for for the next one. And so yeah, it's. It is fairly low key. So yeah, you had nine seasons with River Monsters. You don't really get time. I guess you don't get time to um, to really stop and smell the roses when it comes to the sort of the more sort of fame side of things. I guess you're always sort of working on something, aren't you? Yeah. I thought um, I, I I didn't realize until today that there was there's two other shows that you've done, um, mm-hmm. one of them being Mighty Rivers, which was a sort of a, a limited series, wasn't it? Yeah, that was right. That was just like, that was uh, that was just one season. You know, it was meant to be a standalone thing. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, where where do you go after river monsters i mean the, the the thing about tv is if you if you if you produce something which is is successful then they just want more of that and it gets to the point where mm. the, the the subject matter is limited so we can't keep doing that and and so but there is other stuff to do and so that yeah there was the rivers series um I did something else after that called Dark Waters, which is which is sort of mopping up a few other stories which weren't quite sort of river monsters, and then and then what I'm doing at the moment, um, I am trying to. Uh, you know, there is definitely more stuff to do, but it's 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 hard to it's it's having to it's it's, it's having to sell that idea, you know. So it's so at the moment I'm sort of feeling my way towards doing something else, and it's it's a bit frustrating. It's it's because when you're just selling, you know, something that's in your head, and and of course TV, it's you know to produce something, it's a it's a big financial gamble. Um, even, even though there might be a, a big audience yeah. out there, it's like mm. so so that that's what I'm in the middle of at the moment, trying to find the the next. 
Have you had other networks contact you and say, hey, we've got this idea for this show and it's essentially just River Monsters 2? Um, under a different name the, yeah the, i mean i i, I have i the, you know I, I have had offers to do other things and either they're just fronting you know fronting something vaguely to do with with fish or whatever um again i think that there are people out there who who, who don't understand that the reason it ended is not because I just got fed up with it or, you know, I'm just being a bit of a prima donna or whatever. It's just that, the, you know, the, the right material for that kind of programme has ended. We could potentially make some more programme, but, they, but they're but they going to be ridiculous. You know, it's, you know, what are we do, what are we doing? Sabretooth sticklebacks or something, you know, it's, it's, um, so, you know, <laughs> let's, let's quit while we're ahead on that. Uh, but there is other stuff to do, you know, and, and like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, convince enough people um that there there really is other stuff to do i did see some dark waters the other night on on uh, um youtube actually because i don't have the uh i don't have the packages to get the channels that you're that you're on so i have to do a bit of crafty youtube in when i want to watch uh river monsters and stuff which is always an interesting experience sometimes because some, sometimes to to get rid of the copyright they sort of like <laughs> zoom the image in so you end up sort of seeing you presenting a part part of it and all we're seeing is your shoulder which is kind of interesting it's all these little by the way i think um sort of so river monsters i think you know is is still appearing on itv4 oh is it so yes i believe so oh and maybe 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 mighty rivers as well but but you know it, it will be at odd times you know um it won't be sort of i saw the the episode the other night where the dude your your, your sound guy got a Mm. Uh, a lightning bolt to his head. Yes. Um, is that Dark Waters or was that River Monsters? I'm not. I'm not. Quite... That was a River Monsters episode. Yeah, we were we were in Suriname in South America. When you realize, well, I saw it. When you realized that um, he'd been hit by lightning, um, you, <laughs> you looked concerned. But there, I felt that there was sort of a part of you that was kind of ready to sort of sort of giggle at him a little bit and. Um, and there was some amusement there, maybe. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I mean, we did for a moment, for a for a moment. You know, we were really concerned because it's you know is 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 he still alive? And I think once we realised he was still alive, that's 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 a good start. But if you've just been hit by lightning, I mean, you're talking about possible yeah possible brain damage or whatever. So I I got out a little pen light, shone it in his eyes to see if his uh, pupils were reacting, which they were. Um, and then, you know, we've all done, or most of us have done, including me, um, sort of remote area, sort of trauma, first aid kind of thing. And, and then in that kind of situation, you, you want to know what is their, you know, what's their state of awareness? Like, do you know what day it is? Do you know where we are? Do you know who I am? So it, it sort of sounds like it just just having a bit of a conversation, you know, Hello, hello, Chris. Yeah. You know where, where where are we? Who am I? You know, and, and 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 actually, you know, based on that information, it's like, well, he's you know his brain hasn't been fried or not completely. So off we go. Um, but no, that was that was worrying because it was uh, it was afternoon, and if 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 we need to evacuate him, we've got to get that done really quickly. You know, if he needs proper attention, and so I guess you're you're miles away from anywhere with any specialist equipment we yeah we um we have sort of tourniquets we have um you know those nasal those tubes you can shove down somebody's nose to open the airway all you know that kind of stuff right but in you know in, in that case we there wasn't there was a jungle airstrip within a few miles of us and so basically if 
if we were quick, you know, we we could have we could have got him him taken away, but we had to, you know, we we needed a, a decision really really quickly and and in that situation we're on the satellite phone we're you know we're talking to a medic and we're, and we're you know he's asking us questions and then based on that it's like well no keep him there but you know keep him under observation and it's you know one of the things was you know he had he had a you know the worst headache he's he's ever had in his life and it's like well just just monitor that you know sort of on a scale of one to ten where is it well it's an it's a nine and three quarters and then just you know just monitor that over the over the next the next day or two yeah i remember him saying he had his boots and they they took the brunt of it yeah Um, yeah he had these really thick soled rubber boots and and he had a just above the boots there was this this patch of this sort of bald patch where the hair had just evaporated so i don't know I, I, you know i don't know i'm not an electrician i don't know exactly what happened but it was um yeah anyway he, he was lucky that is uh yeah that is wild i guess i i don't know i get i people react differently to these situations don't they but i guess you know your first instinct is try and be calm don't look because you didn't look like he'd just been hit by lightning, is what I'm trying to say. But I guess you don't want him to see you going, "Oh my God, you just been hit by <laughs> don't die on me!" No, it's. Uh, well, I mean, here's here's the other interesting thing, and exactly what I said before is there's part of you thinking, you know, is he okay? And then the other thing is is like, "Oh, this is this is this is good. This is good material." You know, and 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 and, the, and, and what's interesting now is is okay. Anything like that ever happens, and we you know we have to. Do that. Do all the medical stuff, but then we have to. You know, we've got a production company in Bristol. We have to tell them what happened, and whenever anything like that happens, which isn't very often, it's only been a handful of times over the years. But there's always two questions, and the first one is the obvious one: is you know, are they okay? Yeah. yeah. And if the answer is yes, you know, the second question immediately <laughs> is. Did you film it? You know, because if you don't, if you don't film it, you've actually lost, you know, brilliant un- unscripted material, and that comes from. So if I, if I rewind to River Monsters series one, um, we'd been fishing for bull sharks in the in the Brisbane River, and we hadn't got what we needed, and and so basically the the entire crew went home apart from myself and one guy who's operating the camera, and we're just going down to this place like every night at the mouth of the Brisbane River. And and trying to catch a bull shark, and so we're we're living this sort of nocturnal existence, you, you know. And and we'd go back to our very cheap motel during the day, and uh, we'd drift out to have a meal somewhere. And a lot of the time, you know, we didn't know is is this breakfast, is it lunch? We don't know. You know, we're just in this this sort of other space, and we went to have a meal. And we park on a hill and we, 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 we went in to, to, to eat something. We took the camera in because we don't want to leave it in the van. And we came out and the, the cameraman, he, you know, the van's open. He puts, he puts the, the, camera, the camera's in there. I'm, le- I'm leaning on the side of the van. And then what he does with a considerable amount of force, because the, the van is on a hill, it's one of these sliding doors, he, uh. he's, he closes the door and... My half of my hand was actually inside the door, so <laughs> you know. And and my reaction was, you know, my your reaction to pain is remove, you know, remove yourself from the source of the pain. So I ripped my hand out of the the door. There was blood, just you know. I, I, and, and I'm thinking, God, that hurt. It felt like a blow. But when I looked down, there's blood like coming out of my hand. Right. And so so I said to this guy, I said. Uh, 
I said, oh, I said, um, he's going, oh, you're right. I'm going, yeah, yeah. I'm going, get the camera. Fil- you've got to film this, you know. And he says, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, you've got to, you know, we're making a film about sharks and, and we've got all this blood right in front of us. You've got to film it. And he's going, <laughs> he's going, he's going you're, you're hysterical. He says, we've got to get you to hospital. I go, yeah, yeah, you'll go to hospital, but just film this blood first. And he's going, it will never fit in the film. I said, well, yeah, we'll, yeah don't worry about it. You know, just film it. <laughs> Um, and so we and so we we actually ended up having this argument and it felt like it went on for about five minutes i mean it and and it's like you know i'm going no film it film it and um he didn't film it you know he a lovely guy this is you know, one of the loveliest guys i know and really sort of talented and but he was so concerned about me that that just overrode everything he said no 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 get in the you know get in the van we're going to the hospital so we went to the hospital uh went in there they x-rayed me i had a broken finger and they and um they dealt with that we came out uh we we'd, we'd been given a parking uh ticket in the hospital for <laughs> and, you know the, the whole thing was slightly comic but we didn't film it and uh, the poor guy he's never he's never been allowed to live that down you know because um the the the, the rule is as long as it's not interfering with treating somebody you know um yeah. then 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 document Filmed it you know you, this your your job is to document what happens and, and if you don't yeah. do that you know you've you failed in that in that in that <laughs> regard <laughs> um, I always used to love the uh, the memes that you'd see where you know when Bear Grylls was like at the height of his fame and he was always off doing all this crazy stuff, and someone would go, "Yeah, he's doing that," but the guy mm. who's with him, who's filming it, is doing all of that with a camera. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, how how nuts are your film crew? And you guys must be if you're. I, I assume for at least River Monsters, you're using the same team most of the time. Are you? It's you guys get pretty tight. Uh, it, there's a sort of there's a pool of people and it, it it rotates right even even for one season you know they they will rotate people because people have families they they want to you know they don't want to be away all the time you know that's that's just me who does that but yeah you know but they're all they're all experienced they're, they're all sort of used to doing that so it, it tends to, you know, people tend to think of of uh, whoever's operating the camera because that you know they they are there they're having to you know keep everything in focus framed and all that at the same time but also obviously there's a sound recorder same thing sound recorders is there you know trying to do all that without getting the boom in shot without getting horrible rustling sounds going on at the same time you know so it's um yeah you know it's 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 a it's a well-oiled and in the case of in the case of, of going after fish it's it's about this is the thing it's about having this entourage and what i'm doing is is actually quite a stealthy activity you know normally i would be doing it on my own you're you're creeping up on a on on a river on a, on a wild animal. You've got a crowd of people behind you. So you know, in the early days, I was quite harsh with some of them. You know, because somebody would drop something on the ground, and it'd be you know, do you realise if if you drop a box on the ground, we have possibly wasted our entire time coming out here then nothing's going to be here you've just scared it away you know vibrations carry through the ground into the water we just scared everything away you might as well go home for the day so you know they're all they're all pretty well versed now in in um in all that and do you lead the crew because i've seen in you know in both of these videos where disaster struck with the with the plane crash with the uh, with the lightning bolt, it does seem the camera goes. Obviously, it's because it's your show. Camera goes straight to you, um, but you do seem to naturally take the lead. Now, does that that come from because you're the the host of the show, or do you find that you've kind of got a natural leadership sort of thing going on anyway? 
Uh, I mean, that's more of a pr- procedural thing. It's be- you know because I am the person telling the story, and also yeah. I suppose because because I'm sort of practiced in sort of narrating what's happened, then it will. It, you know, the default is it comes to me. But in in that situation, again, that's that's where you suddenly the crew are part of the story. You know, so it's you know what they call breaking the fourth wall. So, so suddenly the camera pulls back, and you can see there's all these other people here. And yeah. so <laughs> you know, the director's on the on the you know he's got the satellite phone out. He's he's talking to somebody. Well, you know, show that. You know, it's we're we're in a situation now where the rules have slightly changed. Everybody knows they're there, but we're now we're now seeing them, and we're in a different mode. This is. Uh, yeah, and I, compelling. Well, apart from apart from the fact that somebody's in pain, I I, I quite like that because it's sort of it's it's the, you know, the story is taking on a life of its own. Yeah, and it, it's it, this this isn't a scripted thing. This is uh, this is you know this is something real that you've just seen. Well, that's the adventure part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, ideally you avoid you avoid all that stuff, but you know, once or twice it will happen. Yeah, I kind of like, I mean, obviously, yeah, I know someone's in pain, but I'm, I'm with you. I like that sort of thing because it is, you know, because I do always think that travel or going on tour with a band or whatever, there should always be a little element of danger. Mm. I think that's really important. You're, you're right. I, I think um, a, a little a, a little bit of the, of the, of the you know, the unexpected, the, the unexpected is, is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the funniest, I laughed out loud the other night. I was watching, I, I'm not sure if it was, it must have been River Monsters because I think it was the same episode as the lightning thing as you're trying to, you're trying to pull this fish in at night and there's a caiman right next to you. Oh, yeah. And you almost get the fish and the fish comes off the hook or something. So what is a caiman? Is it like a freshwater crocodile? Or what What is it? Because you would, you would bring in this fish in it, you keep an eye on this thing, yeah, and it does look quite close to you. And like you, and earlier on in the show, you said this thing's coming right up to me. It doesn't know. It's not um, domesticated. It doesn't know that it has to fear yeah. me. It just doesn't fear me. Yeah. And so you're trying to pull this fish in. You've been there all night. Yes. Night vision's on and everything, and the fish comes off the hook and it gets back in the water and you just, it's just the beep button is just going and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. fucking no fucking fuck. And I'm like. Laughing out loud at it. How often yeah. do the crew see Jeremy have a have a fucking meltdown? Uh- <laughs> not not that often, but it, but it, but it does happen. Um, that that was quite funny because it's so a caiman is a it's like the South American uh, alligator, and you, you know you you would normally keep your distance. But I'm bringing this fish in, and this is you know this is the fish that we need for the program, and it's and it's coming in, and this caiman sees it as a meal and is coming across. So so I try and swing it up the the, the shore too quickly and it fell off and it's then flapping its way back down to the water and the caiman is waiting there it's just a few inches away and it's like and i'm just thinking i need that fish you know and anyway the fish <laughs> flops into the water swims off the caiman's still there and i'm feeling a bit like um i hadn't seen it at that point but you might have seen that uh, there's that there's that clip of this australian guy walking his dog and and this and this this big male kangaroo grabs his dog like in a headlock, and this Australian guy just wanders after the kangaroo, the kangaroo, and punches it in the face, you know, which is which is the last thing you should do to a kangaroo. But the the kangaroo is just so um, sort of taken aback by the whole thing, and so and so that was my mindset at the time. I'm just totally annoyed with this thing for spoiling our. Um, yeah, for spoiling our shoot, and I suppose um, 
I won't tell you the whole story because it's. Um, but yeah, my my record. There was, funnily enough, this was in Australia as well. I, I, I had a, a, a fish that got off the line in Australia a couple of years ago. And, and in the edit, when they were sort of going through it, they had to use the bleep button 33 times in the space of about two minutes, I think. So that's the, that's the all-time record. But again, you know, they, 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 like, they like real emotion um, as opposed to, you know... The, yeah, the the, the 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 fake version. Right. So yeah, you've got this. You've got this caiman next to you. It's dangerous. You're an adventurer. What what worries you? Is there anything you like? Now, I don't like snakes. Don't like spiders. Don't. Like, what is there anything out there in that natural world where you're out on a on a, a thing and you're like, God's sake, I hate these things. Yeah. No, it's interesting because a, a lot of the fish that I deal with are. are you know that you've got to handle on very carefully and and a lot of people say oh you know you're 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 very brave handling those those fish but i mean what you what you do is you uh you do your research and and you 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 know how to handle it and and, and it's not just about keeping me safe it's about keeping the fish safe as well you know because even even something like a like a bull shark that could could have my my arm off it's it's just as important that 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 fish swims off in a in an unharmed state so with the fish i'm generally pretty i'm pretty confident although obviously i'm trying to focus on what i'm doing and i've got people talking at me at the same time i've got a director talking to me i've got a cameraman talking to me and while i'm trying to and and the thing that um i've come unstuck a couple of times when it's been a small fish and, and it's like so i'm not totally i'm not totally focused and i've had maybe a small catfish that sort of stuck a um, you know, a toxic spine in my hand or something like that because I've just not been paying attention. No, but it's it's it is mostly it, it is those things that come out of the environment um, that you're not prepared for. So things like that lightning strike, where you know we weren't being reckless. There'd been a there'd been this storm in the morning, and we'd 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 sat out the morning. We we're waiting for the weather to move. It moved, and and it, everything looked fine. But there must have been sort of charge built up in this rock in the middle of the river. Because that just came out of nowhere, you know. It's 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 those moments. It's the ones you sort of, you know, that that are very just sort of random and unexpected. So there's no, there's no like animals that you. Because that was what I was thinking about with that plane crash. Was like, oh, now you've got to wade for all this swamp and stuff. You don't know what's in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose you know venomous snakes. But I mean, anybody in their right mind is is you know wants to keep away from venomous snakes. Um, do you do you encounter this stuff? That's what I think predominantly when I'm watching your your show is that you're going through all these places and and it's not just it's not just the fish you're going to encounter, is it? You're in other species home. Yeah, homes. Um, habitats do you know what Sur- surprisingly little because you know a, a, a lot of that stuff is a lot of those animals are pretty uh you know they make themselves scarce they're not just wandering around you're not just although it's interesting you look at the natural history programs you go to the amazon you're you know you're tripping over jaguars and anacondas the whole time but, but in reality you're not you just don't see them to be honest, it is more things. You know, it's it, it's it's quite unglamorous. It's it, it, it's it's making sure you don't get bitten too much by mosquitoes. Things like things like that. You know, that's going to probably you know realistically going to cause you more of a problem. This might be a good time to bring things back to Anthony Bourdain because uh, I mentioned him earlier and I said I'd go into it and I didn't. I don't think we really did go into it. 
But you've written three books, hmm. um, or, you're, or you're part of three books. Did you Two write the half. River Monsters book? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he was also a writer, and uh, I would call him an explorer yeah. in many ways, yeah, yeah. or an adventurer. That show that he did is is way more than food. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think your show is way more than fish in, at times. Yeah, absolutely. No, no he, he he was he was a writer before he was um, he was on TV, and and. Um, and an exceptionally good writer, and I think that you know one reason the, the programs are so good is his writing is 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 so good. What what his programs do is is food is just is just the way in, but it is it, but it is this universal language, and so it's it shows you a place from a particular perspective and he always talks about the subculture you know you've got the subculture of the people who prepare food who who work in restaurants that kind of thing and then you've got the people obviously who who, who eat the food but but that opens out on the on the place as a whole and gives you a, a sort of unique view of it and i think what what i do is it, it is quite similar because most places that you go to, you will find people who are interested in fish, and and you and you get a very strong bond very quickly, and then through them, that then opens out on, on the the rest of the place. So so it's um, yeah, there are there are there are certain similarities, but yeah, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a very big fan of of, um, of his programs as well. Yeah, I absolutely love them. I'm I'm not sure what season I'm in at the moment. I'm in. I'm in deep though. I'm more than five seasons in, and I just and I love it. But I have to eat when I watch it. I can't watch it hmm. um, without food. I have to. I have to have a, bag, a big bag of crisps or something. Yeah. Otherwise, I just I just get a bit sort of fidgety yeah. <laughs> and snacky. Do you know what I mean? But um, talking of food uh, and travel, obviously rivers are a big source of food that will sustain communities throughout the world how do you ever come up against resistance when you show up in a sort of remote place with your camera crew and you know you're a guy from you know you're a foreigner and and you say i want to go and fish in your river do you ever do you ever come up against sort of resistance or people being um uh, a little bit sort of um cautious of you because that's kind of part of their not really um it no it's 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 more the other way around it's you know it's it's surprising i mean um, thing is what's weird now is because of the spread of tv is it's hard to go somewhere where 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 they haven't seen the program so you you, you know every, you know you um we 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 filmed with a, a mongolian shaman a few years ago and and you know, this this crazy scene that we filmed, and this, the shaman was talking in tongues, and then the shaman had an, an assistant who was translating things into, you know, translating that into Mongolian. Um, but then came up to our translator afterwards and, and, and said, "Oh, by the way, my my husband really likes your your programs." And uh, you know, so wherever you go, and, and, <laughs> and which is great because it because it opens doors. Um, but the thing about the thing about rivers feeding people. Um, you know, it used to be the case, but the the, the the you know the big story at the moment is that the you know the rivers just can't sustain. You know, they 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 can't supply what you know the demands that are being put on them, and it's all very well when people were using sort of the you know artisanal um, 
don't know if I pronounced, I don't know if I got my stress right there, but you know what I mean? You know, the sort of traditional fishing, to, you know, like, you know, trying to shoot a fish with a bow and arrow is pretty hard. I've tried it. And, um, but if you've got a, a nylon monofilament net, you know, the, 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 the technology now is so universal. It's so easy to get hold of. It's comparatively cheap. And what that means is, is that in most places in the world, the, the fish in the rivers are, are, you know they're they're doing really badly you know you it's not really justifiable anymore in most places to to even think about eating fish out of the rivers Uh, there's parts of the amazon where they still harvest quite a few fish but it it needs to be better regulated you know it's you know it could be done but doing it as a free-for-all is just a recipe for for disaster you know that that is very much part of the story at the moment and unfortunately it's it, you know it's part of the story that tv's a bit nervous of you know because that's a bit that's a bit depressing we don't want to depress people and it's like well you know you can <laughs> you can still make a hopeful program but with but, but acknowledging that you know, that that side of reality as well it's very hard balance to strike actually do you touch upon that in in your show mighty rivers is that yeah, no, that, that you know, I was very pleased with that actually. Um, what was a shame was in America they didn't really publicise that very much, but when it showed here, it showed here on ITV, and you would expect the audience numbers to drop compared with, say, River Monsters. But in, in this country, where they actually supported it, the numbers held up. We had the same number of people watching it. We probably right. gained a few different people as well, you know, different type of viewer. But yes, uh, you know, that very much did deal with the problems, the different problems that rivers are facing. But what we did to balance that out, we every every episode showed one or two little stories of... of little good news stories where people somewhere are doing something like you know a guy in Austria and his son whose day job is you know they 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 make wine but but they are also rearing these rare hookan which is a member of the salmon family they they're they breeding those and they're releasing those back into the Danube and there are other people in the Danube that are sort of opening up some of the backwaters and restoring some of the you know the 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 gravel bars the places where these fish spawn you know this is just you know just a handful of people doing something which is which is good in the amazon you have people who are you have communities where they are they're not sort of banning fishing but they are you know they're managing lakes that they control in a sustainable way with with tremendously good results some people in in china who protested about a dam and and you'd think well good luck with that that's not going to get you anywhere you know they 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 kidnapped some engineers you thought oh this is only going to end one way but what actually happened we spoke to these people you know that dam was cancelled it's you know if there is if there is this amount of feeling against it so you know we we turned up some really nice stories which so set against the backdrop of all of, of gloom and doom and depression it's like hang on a minute there are people all over the place doing stuff which which is which is making a difference and which is giving some hope and i and i think the the balance that we managed to strike in those in those films we had a really good series producer you know um was 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 just right you know that's that's the that's the kind of thing that you know you don't lose audiences but you know doing that you get the information across you give them a bit of hope and and yeah yeah well the production value on that is incredible actually on on that i I remember seeing the the intro to that show and it's you sort of you know you're you're on a on a a hilltop and it's like spanning this huge thing and 
expect, you know, if someone told you to get a bit of stubble on, get that sort of, you know, that <laughs> designer stubble for the adventurer yeah. look. Um, and the the, the way the, the grainy filter on the camera and just the whole thing just looked like proper, like, the real deal. You know, it was a big, it looked like it had a big production on it. And, um, and yeah, I appreciate things like that. And it, mm. there was some drama to it and in uh, you know, the narration was great. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was, uh, it was brilliant, that, actually. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the production values are, are, are good. But, you've yes, exactly. You've got to, you've got to have a, a, a strong story as well. You've got, and you've got, you know, you've, got to, you've got to hook the viewers, bring them in, keep them interested, and, and, and leave them satisfied at the end of it. Yeah, yeah it was great. If, someone's, if someone just played me that and I didn't know you and they said, this is Jeremy Wade, he's an ex-SAS captain, or something, I'd be like, I believe him. He looked proper like grizzly and tough in that. It was great. Well, I, 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 actually, I, I quite like, I quite like the fact that that I'm that I'm that I'm not, yeah, you know, I don't belong to that group. You know, I'm, I'm uh, I, I used to be a teacher. The traveling that I, you know, the the training that I have received was was not sort of paid for by by the by the state. I, I you know, I, I just I just did odd jobs and went off on my own no backup no nothing um different different parts of the world and it took a long time but but um you know building up a certain expertise doing that as yeah that's led to what i'm doing now amazing tell me um tell me about writing your books um how do you how, where do you st- this is what i ask people who write books where do you start especially mm. people who aren't author by you know isn't there for like sort of first career Mm. Where do you begin? I, well, I suppose in my case, it has to. Be, I'm writing about real stuff. I don't. I, I. I don't know. I don't think I could write fiction. So, so basically, I've got. I've got a story to tell. A story that I know. Um, I mean, I used to be. You know, I've I've done a certain amount of freelance journalism over the years. I've I've worked briefly as a, as a newspaper reporter. So I, I've I, I I've worked on teaching myself how to how to write, and and, and part of that is is reading a lot as well. Yeah, so I suppose I've got a story to tell. So, I, so I was commissioned to write a book to go with with the River Monster series when you know, we were only actually part of the way through. No, but I find I find writing a really hard thing to do. It's it doesn't come naturally. It's a real the. I guess there are similarities here with music. You know, when the the blank sheet of paper, it's it, it's getting something started mm. is is really hard. Speaking for myself, I'm I'm a much better editor than I am a writer. Once I've actually got something down, once it's starting to take shape, I can then work on it, and and it's it's very time consuming. But I'll go through it. I'll go through it. I'll discard bits. I'll change bits. I'll you know, and the bit I really like is when it's nearly there. You know, it's it's in the early stages of writing. I will make any excuse to to walk away and do something else. It's you know, it's like blood from a stone. Mm. Once it's once it's taking shape and once it's near the end of the process, it's it's the other way around. You know, you've got to physically drag me away, or you know, I'll oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'd better get some sleep. You know, I'm just I'm fiddling around with do I want a comma there or do I not want a comma there? That's all a bit excessive, but it makes it actually makes a difference. You know, and and uh, you know, if again, if if like a copy editor wants to you know wants to take that out, it's like. There's a reason that comma is there. I've probably spent about an hour thinking about that comma, comma wow. over and over, you know, on and right. off. You know, so it's it's. Um, but I I do find 
I find it very difficult. Um, I want to do some more writing. You know, what's nice about it is TV is very collaborative. I like that side of it. You know, you, um, I suppose, like playing in a band, you know, it's, it, you know, as a collective, you produce something which an individual couldn't on their own. But then the, what's nice about writing is that that's more a personal thing. And um, I, I want to write some more, but it's, you know, I do, I do find it very hard. Did you have to, did you phone any, um, any friends of yours who are writers and authors and say, Hey, look, I'm doing this thing. You've done something similar. What do you think? You know, who, any, anyone, uh, anyone we know about who would have given you some counsel? I've, I've got sort of a few friends who I, I can put things in front of. And I think it's very important that you, you have people who are going to be honest in what they think. You know, I don't want, I don't want someone just to go, Oh yeah, that's really good. You know, because, because they don't want to offend you. I, I used to work as um, I worked as a copywriter in, a, in an advertising agency for a, for a while. And the thing about that is, people are paying large amounts of money for you to write something, and if they don't like it, they don't hesitate in telling you. And and you know, so I, I never take criticism personally. Right. It's you know, if you think this is rubbish, if you know, just just tell me. And and because it's very important, you know, I'd, I'd rather somebody tells me now that this is rubbish and and, and you, you need to work on it than have it published and and then it's like, oh, this is dreadful. Um, so getting an honest reaction is very important and, and you know you've got to know people quite well for that and I suppose a lot of people are quite uncomfortable about giving severe criticism to someone you quite you know you know and somebody you like but you know those are the people you want that's the kind of friends you want or the kind of critics you want yeah it's a strange one because I because I find that everyone's an expert and there's that straddling, isn't it, between between you know you've got to have the people that you can ask who you know know what they're talking about and will give you the the information you need, the criticism you need. But I know just walking down the street from doing a podcast or being in a band, being the deputy mayor, doing a radio show, whatever. Joe Bloggs, who would never do it himself, who has no idea really how to do it, thinks he knows how to do it. The people that don't would never would never ever think to do what you do suddenly yes have a have an idea oh you should have done that and you think oh, well, come on hang on a minute <laughs> it's it's interesting because i because thinking about it i think things fall into like sort of two categories for example back when i when i when i had time to sort of engage with sort of um you know people could email me and and get messages to me I would, I would get sort of somebody would would be sort of telling me off because the the way I was fishing would be a bit messy and a bit you know sort of and you know you don't you don't know what you're doing or it's like well actually there's a reason I did it that particular way but the program wasn't you know I couldn't go into all of that in the program and, and it's um, you know so actually I'm you know it's interesting you said that and 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 you know a shame we couldn't sort of somehow deflect that but that but i think if somebody though is saying you know i didn't understand that or you know that attempt at a joke didn't work that's the kind of thing because it's it, the, right this comes down to so my view of books is that if suppose i read a review about a book that says this book is brilliant it will change your life whatever whatever people will read that book and often you, you know you'll struggle with a book and the normal reaction is to think, um, I don't understand this book. It must be because I'm stupid. And so I will keep quiet about that. I won't tell anybody because I'm slightly ashamed of, of, of not getting past page, whatever it is. I tend to think of that the other way. It's, it's, it's not the reader's fault. It's the writer's fault. You know, the writer has not taken the trouble 
to to make that more understandable to the reader. And I think it's the same with TV. It's like if you don't understand something clearly, it's 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 the program maker's fault. It's not it's not your fault. You know they 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 should go away and work a bit harder. So so what I'm saying, I guess, is there's is there's sort of two broad categories of of, of criticism, and 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 one. I listen to very closely, and another 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 category. It's sort of I'm, I'm a bit more relaxed about. Yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I couldn't have put that better myself. Uh, so, what's next for you? I've seen Mysteries of the Deep popped up when I was doing a bit of research. I saw a little bit of something uh, about the. Um, it's not Fukushima. Is it Fukushima? Yeah, Fukushima was in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a bit of that. Um, that wasn't as hands-on with you in it, from what I've seen. No, no, no. I mean, that was more of a, that, you know, that was more made from bits of, you know, interesting bits of archive, and uh, I, w- I was more just sort of fronting that, you know. So that's, um, and that was just something I was doing while, we, you know, while we're trying to, in the process of tr- of trying to sort of move the, you know, the, the main, you know, the main shows on onto something onto something new, you know, on, onto another level. So. That's that's quite a slow process. You're you're working idea on ideas. You're sending them out to different broadcasters, and so while you're doing that, nothing you know, you, nothing else is. I'm not travelling and doing anything. So to keep things going, um, at the at the moment um, there are some pro- some programs which are sort of going through the works. You know, just finished being edited. They will be on at some point uh, in the year. I think I'd have, I have no more details than that. I can't say too much about them either because I'm sort of sworn to secrecy on them. I, I have some quite strong ideas about what I'd like to do, and and it's a case of you know bringing you know turning that into into reality. And the, you know the process is happening, but it's um, hopefully this year I will take some sort of good steps along the way. But um, yeah, a, a sort of slightly transitional phase at the moment. Cool. Well, as long as you're busy and you're doing something that you find is you know, you're finding exciting and fulfilling and yeah, you know all that stuff, and that's good. Uh, one other thing, I'm just going to run it past you. Robson Green's Extreme Fishing. Did you ever see it? What did you think? Um, do you know what a, a director I worked with said to me once? He said, "Robson Green is my is my guilty pleasure." Um, <laughs> And do you know what? Robson Green gets a lot of stick in the angling press because, oh, I think, you know, he said a couple of things. I think he said somewhere that, you know, most of the fish that anglers catch die or something, which is complete nonsense, you know, and then that became a sort of a media thing. So So I think, you know, I think quite a lot of serious anglers maybe don't have, you know, sort of that high of an opinion. I actually don't possess a TV. This is this is this is sort of my guilty secret. But I but you know I'm, I am aware of certain things. And the, the thing about Robson Green is he 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 makes no pretense to be an expert. He he you know his enjoyment comes across. Um, yeah. You know he he you know he he has fun. Um, the fact that he's an actor as well. He's you know he's at home on the screen. So so I think what he does. And, and and again, it, you know what he's doing. He you know he is a bit of an ambassador for for angling. I I, I have a more positive view than than some pe- you know some people who who who, who fish. You know, um, 
Uh, quite funny. We 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 were at um, I was at Heathrow once in Terminal Five, and my the cameraman I was with was suddenly chatting with this other guy who turned out to be an, another cameraman. Um, you know, and they're comp- they're comparing notes. Where are you going? What are you doing? And this other cameraman was going. I don't know. Was it Greenland or somewhere? Anyway, he was going to be working on on um, Robson Green show. And so I immediately so so the, the next question was you know is is he here and and the answer was no he's already there or he's going from somewhere else and I had this sort of this thought flashed into my head is because people imagine we're these sort of huge rivals even though we've never met and I, I had this thought that we could we could you know we could we could have we could have um, we could have like a huge fight in in sort of in the check in area at Terminal Five and just brilliant publicity um, but. But he wasn't there, so that never happened. And it probably wouldn't have happened anyway. Big thank you to this week's guest, Jeremy Wade. We will leave all relevant links to his TV shows and his books in the show notes description box, as well as any other links to things that we find that we think you guys might like. Uh, If you could like and subscribe to the podcast, that would be really great. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't want to spend any money but you want to support the show, that is the best way that you can do it. If you could tell a friend, just one friend, that you think would enjoy that podcast that you heard, then please just fire that over to them. That really, really helps us as well. If you want to support the show on social media, you can. Twitter and Instagram is at the giant pod, and my personal Instagram is Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was produced by the scaly Harry Williams. <laughs> we will see you next week on the giant pod. Thanks for now. Bye for now.